Greetings, and thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 55. I'm excited about this episode because I get to finally share and bask in some of the analysis of my students. I also have another great poem to share, this one by Nikki Giovanni, titled Allowables. It was originally published in her 2013 collection Chasing Utopia, but I think I ran into it first on Twitter last year. It was shared in connection to the protests following the killing of George Floyd. Now, the connection to that type of violence might not seem obvious or even intended by the poet when it was first published, but readers are necessary in the creation of meaning. My students, too, are part of this process, and I look forward to seeing the meaning that they create, the understanding they come to as they contact this poem. But before we can dive into allowables, we need to return to the previous class poem, You Get Proud by Practicing. I was pleased by how well students responded to this poem, with not only great initial readings, but excellent discussions as they replied to one another. I was especially impressed with how willing students were to disagree. I love when students disagree about a text and then they use evidence to support the challenges that they come up with. These kind of disagreements are the height of critical thinking, and I feel privileged to be present for such academic discourse. To ensure that we have this poem fresh in mind, let's give it another listen. Here's the poem. You Get Proud by Practicing by Laura Hershey If you are not proud for who you are, for what you say, for how you look, if every time you stop to think of yourself, you do not see yourself glowing with golden light, do not, therefore, give up on yourself. You can get proud. You do not need a better body, a purer spirit, or a PhD to be proud. You do not need a lot of money, a handsome best friend, or a nice car. You do not need to be able to walk or see or hear or use big complicated words or do any of those things that you just can't do to be proud. A caseworker cannot make you proud or a doctor. You only need more practice. You get proud by practicing. There are many, many ways to get proud. You can try riding a horse, or skiing on one leg, or playing guitar, and do well or not so well, and be glad you tried either way. You can show something you've made to someone you respect, and be happy with it no matter what they say. You can say what you think, though you know other people do not think the same way, and you can keep saying it, even if they tell you you're crazy. You can add your voice all night the voices of a hundred and fifty others in a circle around a jailhouse where your brothers and sisters are being held for blocking buses with no lifts. Or you can be one of the ones inside of the jailhouse, knowing of the circle outside. You can speak your love to a friend without fear. You can find someone who will listen to you without judging you or doubting you or being afraid of you and let you hear yourself perhaps for the very first time. These are all ways of getting proud. None of them are easy, but all of them are possible. You can do all of these things, or just one of them again and again. You get proud by practicing. Power makes you proud, and power comes in many fine forms, supple and rich as butterfly wings. It is music when you practice opening your mouth and liking what you hear because it is the sound of your own true voice. 
It is sunlight when you practice seeing strength and beauty in everyone, including yourself. It is dance when you practice knowing that what you do and the way you do it is the right way for you and cannot be called wrong. All these hold more power than weapons or money or lies. All these practices bring power, and power makes you proud. You get proud by practicing. Remember, you weren't the one who made you ashamed, but you're the one who can make you proud. Just practice, practice, until you get proud. And once you are proud, keep practicing so you won't forget. You get proud by practicing. So students had a lot of great things. And one thing that I liked is that students recognized that despite my introduction in the last week's episode about where this poem's origin is in the disability activist community, one thing that students noticed was this is not exclusive to that community. Students identified that in the poem, you get proud by practicing there is a strong sense of empowerment and inclusion. This poem, says another student, isn't just about the disabled, but it extends onward to even those who just worry that their future is bleak, regardless of the other circumstances. Another student notes that everyone has the power to achieve great things, and this could be taken advantage of to become proud, specifically in the lines that say, practice knowing what you do and the way you do it is the right way for you. And that, that connection to ourself and the way we see ourselves is essential, and many students pointed to it. One notes that Hershey also states that money, fame, or even having all of your five senses isn't something that make you proud. And another notes that she conveys that you can never be perfect in the eyes of society, but with perseverance, you can become whatever you want to be, your own idea of perfect. Another student says that the author offers the idea that being proud comes from your own perception of yourself and not the perception that others have for you. And many students found this motivating, noting that this is the poem that's saying you don't need to be perfect in order to be proud of yourself. Perfection isn't the goal. It doesn't need to be the goal. And to be fair, for students, for teenagers who deal with complicated relationships with themselves and the world around you and well to sometimes trying to create relationships with the people around them uh this is probably something pretty personal and pretty familiar with one noting that you can be able to talk to someone without feeling embarrassed or judged as long as you attempt it you just reach out you can be proud of the attempt it's the practice it's the doing that matters now, besides just this feeling of self and inclusion, some students did respond directly to this connection to protest. In particular, the line that says 150 others around a jailhouse. A student says that this describes the strength that comes from numbers, allowing that the reader to know that they aren't alone, that there are always going to be people supporting them in some fashion. Another student says the lines talk about protesting and getting yourself heard, an act that involves teamwork in contrast to being proud about yourself. And although Hershey did not say it, she may have implied that teamwork is also a way to be proud, specifically to do something for your community that helps make a difference. And that's a great point. There are a lot of things we do that require work, not just practice of our own 
enjoyment, guitar, horse riding, skiing, those things get mentioned as well, but also things that build community and maybe change that community for the better. Now, it is worth noting that protest is not without its risks. While we have a tendency to champion those who protest for rights and for important causes, those actions are not always, strictly speaking, legal. And a student noticed this. The student said that you can do something, quote, bad, which I think is suggesting like illegal or disruptive activities, and it could be for a good cause, and that can be a reason to be proud. Now, the most obvious structural aspect of this poem is the repetition, and I'm going to tell you students, I love when students talk about structure. Poetry lives and breathes, not just by its language, but also by the way it structures and organizes that language, probably more than any other form. And so when you see patterns of construction, oh, it's so meaningful. And students had a lot of great things to say about the repetition of this poem. One, one notes that being proud isn't something innate. It is something that develops over a period of time by practicing and students seem to recognize that being proud is this kind of process. It takes trial and error, says one. And, says another, that Hershey takes the readers to multiple different situations over the course of the poem. And in all of these situations, even the people in the worst situation can practice and practice and still become proud. And, a few students comment, that this repetition of the phrase, you get proud by practicing, it creates emphasis. It helps to argue this approach, this thought that anyone can get proud and that it takes work. A student says that because almost every stanza ends with you get proud by practicing, it signifies again and again that the patience you have to develop to get proud, to do the work, with a note noting that this by itself makes the feeling of confidence building kind of just a part of the the blocks of the poem. Each stanza reinforces this idea. And according to another, as a result, the word proud and the phrase you get proud by practicing becomes more powerful, more effective, more forceful, I suppose. And that's great. It absolutely has that effect. I think this is a great reading. All of these, I think, are great readings of this particular poem. Now, one aspect of this poem that I personally enjoyed is how it uses line breaks to create emphasis. In particular, all but the first stanza end with the same final lines. As I mentioned, you get proud by practicing. When sentences in a poem go from one line to another without punctuation at the end of that line, this is called enjambment. So by enjamming, you get proud and pushing by practicing into its own stanza ending line. The poem seems to, seems to emphasize that this practice must happen and it must happen repeated and it, and it is essential to the process of getting proud. You get proud as a statement, despite feeling complete, is in fact incomplete because by practicing follows it in the next line. So even if we think of them as separate pieces, we know that one depends on the other. I, I love 
how the connection between those ideas are linked by separating them into different lines. I think it's very clever. Now, our next poem is Allowables by Nikki Giovanni. I chose this poem in part because it demands that we think closely about something that we've probably all done without much thought. Killing a spider. The poem is simple, and yet by the end it is playing with big ideas, what we've called theme topics in class, like killing, fear, violence, what is allowed, guilt, and more. This poem also does some cool stuff with the lines at the end. It creates five stanzas, where the last three stanzas are only one line each. The structure here is useful, because this week we introduce a writing task that will be required on all future responses, which is to use slashes when quoting ideas that extend from one line to the next, or from one stanza to the next. When we use quotations, it is our responsibility to reproduce the original text as exactly as possible, and that includes identifying where breaks originally were. But when we're writing a paragraph, we don't want to create new lines all over the place. It's one paragraph. It should look like one paragraph. Instead, we use the forward slash, which usually shares a space with the question mark on your keyboard. And if the thing you are quoting includes a line break, you use one forward slash between the last word of one line and the first word of the next line. If you are quoting something with a stanza break, we use two forward slashes to indicate a stanza break. For example, if we wanted to quote from the second and third stanzas of allowables, we would write, I don't think, slash, I'm allowed, double slash, to kill something. We'd also want to make sure that all of the words originally capitalized are capitalized in our quotation. I will include a document on Google Classroom assignment to give students an additional example of how this can be done. So what about the secret passphrase? Well, this week it is to use the word responsible in your paragraph length original response. Here's this week's poem, read by my wife, who absolutely despises spiders, but still asks that I gently remove them from the house rather than killing them. Nikki Giovanni, Allowables. I killed a spider. Not a murderous brown recluse, nor even a black widow. And if the truth were told, this was only a small, sort of papery spider, who should have run when I picked up the book. But she didn't, and she scared me, and I smashed her. I don't think I'm allowed to kill something because I am frightened. Students, be sure to use the secret passphrase responsible within your response and use a single or double slash if quoting a line or stanza break, which is our writing task. Also, be sure you put the poem's title in quotes as well. Poems are almost always short texts, and all short texts go in quotation marks. As we progress further into the year, keep in mind that all of the writing tasks that we've used continue to be good practice. While you will not be scored specifically on how much you use them every single week, they 
are a demonstration of strong writing, which means you should keep on using them. And this week, use that poet's last name all by itself if you need to refer back to them. Just be sure that the first time you use their name, it is the full thing. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, or would like the class to direct their eye toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on LeidenTeaches.com or on Twitter. I am at LeidenTeaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class instructional activities, and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 55 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent.